Now, I do want to continue um, going through the first couple of verses here in Hebrews chapter 6, and I'm sure you're familiar with the fact that we are going through the elementary principles of Christ as uh, listed here in Hebrews 6, and we've... um, uh, we tried to make an emphasis just to refresh ourselves also on the fact that um, the writer Paul was making a focus of their spiritual immaturity. So when listing the elementary principles, it was more just a statement than anything else. He was telling them that they should have moved on to the meat of God's word because uh, so much, uh, and he begins to expound some of those things in, um, in Hebrews itself. But we've looked at uh, repentance, uh, of repentance from dead works, and faith towards, G- or to- faith towards Lord Jesus Christ, faith towards God, and so we've looked at those two aspects. Uh, we've also considered last week the doctrine of baptisms, and um, we went through some of those aspects as well. And today we're going to go through the laying on of hands that we find reference to in Hebrews 6 verse 2. So let's read it just to refresh ourselves, verse 1 and 2 and 3, just to set the scene. The Bible says, Therefore, uh, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God of the doctrine of baptisms or washings, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits. So we want to look at the fourth principle or elementary principle, spiritual foundation of Christ and this relates to the doctrine um, of laying on of hands. And an interesting doctrine it is, but something that is of uh, vital importance in the purpose and plan of God, laying on of hands. And it's a, a can, you know, you become a Christian, it's a foreign concept for the most part, laying on of hands. But nevertheless, it is throughout the scripture. Now remember we noted that Paul writing to the Hebrew Christians, these elementary principles, uh, they have their roots... Uh, within uh, uh, Judaism themselves. And so the concept is not something that's foreign uh, when we talk about any of these elementary principles because they all have their foundation and roots within the Old Testament and then by extension we find their application into the New Testament and in relation to Christ. And so that's important for us to note. But, um, and remember as well, and I, I think these two connect together when we talk about the doctrine of baptism and the laying on of hands in the sense that I made the uh, emphasis last week of in, the in, inaugural aspect that is associated with these things in relation to baptism. It's an inaugural sense of baptised you know, into Christ, baptised uh, in water, baptised uh, uh, with the Holy Spirit. These are inaugural Events And so when we consider the laying on of hands, we are considering it in a similar context. And it has to be understood in this way to grasp the plan and purpose of God that is associated with the laying on of hands. 
Now remember the word inaugural, just to refresh ourselves, it literally, if you were to, in the dictionary, just defines it as to commence officially. Okay? To commence officially, to dedicate formally, or to, uh, or even a ceremonial induction. And so when you think of the inaugural aspect and you apply that to the laying on of hands, then we begin to understand the plan and purpose of God that is associated and the doctrine that is associated with the laying on of hands. Now I understand, there, uh, uh, as with all things that relate to God's word, if you don't understand it properly, you can misapply it and uh, even take it to some extremes that it becomes erroneous and an error. And we've seen that in modern uh, charismatic and Pentecostal uh, um, arenas in, um, in over the last you know uh, decades and that has brought about much false teaching and practices and especially as it relates to the laying on of hands. So it is important for us to understand these things. But what is so important is first and foremost is God ordained the laying on of hands. This is not men's invention. This is not something that was manufactured and, and uh, was the uh, uh, idea uh, of some, some men, but no, this is something that God has set in place. This is something that God has ordained. And therefore, it is important that we understand it. It's important that we practice it according to the Word of God because there is a blessing in it. Amen? And we've heard even references this morning on a couple of occasions of laying on of hands. And, we, and it's funny, once we just, you know, we just speak about it now because we, once you understand it, it's one of those things that's second nature and you just speak about it. Yes, I laid hands on this individual. I laid hands to pray and so forth. And so we want to understand this uh, in a proper context. And again, like I said, this is an elementary principle. For some, you might say, well, I understand these things. Well, that's great. But at the same time, uh, maybe there are those that are not and that's why we're going through these things to establish a proper foundation for us to proceed in the Christian life. So, our purpose is to identify the various uh, scriptures that relate to the laying on of hands and draw out the various principles and truths that are associated with them. So, I want to start in Genesis chapter 48. So, if you could go to Genesis chapter 48. We have... Here, the, uh, the first instance in which we find the laying on of hands as it relates to Jacob, who is about to bless the sons of, of Joseph. Now, there is a context here that's, uh, that I don't want to go into specifically, but it, uh, we will find that Jacob is, is laying the right hand and the left hand, and that has spiritual significance, obviously but we're just looking at the principle here of laying on of hands. And so in Genesis 48, verse, we'll read from verse 12 to 15 first. But uh, it says, So Joseph brought them, that is his, his children, beside his knees, to, that is to Jacob, and he bowed down with his face to the earth, uh, and Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near to him. Then Israel, or Jacob, stretched out his right hand and laid it on Ephraim's head, and who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head. 
guiding his hands knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. But nevertheless, Joseph is bringing his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, to his father in order to obtain a blessing. And so, in doing so, we find that, uh, that Jacob is laying his hands on these particular children and, and this is obviously the significance of the right hand and the left hand. But why is Jacob doing this is the question. And I think you'll find, uh, if you go previous in the previous verses of Genesis 48, verse 3, you'll begin to see the Bible says that then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at last in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. Now here we have then what we are identifying is a transferring of a blessing that is associated here in this instance with the laying on of hands. Now we know that it precedes uh, Jacob himself because of the covenant that God had made with, uh, with Abraham and then that translates through to Isaac and uh, then to Jacob and then we're moving now to uh, Joseph's sons in relation to Ephraim and Manasseh but uh, we find that the promise of God, the purpose of God, the, the blessing of God is being propagated to each generation for and to fulfil the purpose and plan of God. And so this is where it's of great significance. It's very symbolic and the uh, inaugural aspect that is associated with this teaches us something because this is something that in going forward will set the tone and set in motion the purposes of God. Each one understands their place and their purpose in the plan of God and in the will of God. And so this is, has, has significance. It's an inaugural event, so to speak. They will never forget that moment when their grandfather laid hands on them and what he said. Because something spiritual was taking place at that time. This was not just a human endeavour. This was not just a human plan. This is, again, part of God's purpose in fulfilling his purposes. It was a spiritual event and a very significant spiritual event it was. Now I also want to underline another fundamental principle that relates to this. Because with the laying on of hands, it's like, okay, it's just a, it appears in a sense just a physical thing, but it is a spiritual event. But there is a principle also that is harnessed within the laying on of hands and it is the principle or truth of faith. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 21, it says, listen, referring to this, this event, it says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worship leaning on the top of his staff. The staff being a symbol of authority, and therefore, the issue of Jacob laying hands and saying what he said and praying what he prayed and pronouncing the blessings that he pronounced was a direct result, the Bible says, of faith. Faith in the plan of God, faith in the purpose of God, faith in the promises of God. 
And that's important for us to realise because that's what, outside of the spiritual dimension and reality that is involved in the laying on of hands, there is also the human element and that is as it relates to faith. Because we have trust, we have confidence and that's why faith speaks. I believed and therefore I spoke. And in speaking by faith, Jacob blessed his grandson. And so this issue of faith is something that we see is also connected uh, as you go forward in understanding various aspects of the laying on of hands as well. But there is the, the truth that surrounds us. So it's important to note that. If you can go to Numbers, chapter 27, we're going to see again some further insight here to the laying on of hands. Numbers Chapter 27, we'll look at verse 18. The Bible says, And the Lord said to Moses, this is relation to Moses and his ordination and commissioning of Joshua to take the leadership. And it says, Take Joshua the son of Nun with, a, with you, a man in whom is the Spirit and lay your hands on him. Now notice, uh, in whom is the spirit, and lay your hands on him. He wasn't transferring the spirit, okay? He was uh, identifying and acknowledging something that was already at work. But in laying hands, it was officiating and making it official. So in verse 18, Take Joshua the son of Nun with you, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him. Set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and inaugurate, or commission him in their sight. And you shall give some of your authority to him, that all the congregation of the children of Israel may be obedient. He shall stand before Eleazar the priest, who shall inquire before the Lord for him by the judgment of the Urim, at his word, and they shall go out at his word, and they shall come in, he and all the children of Israel with him, all the congregation. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He took Joshua, set him before Eleazar the priest, and before all the congregation, and he laid his hands on him and inaugurated him, just as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. So there's a few things to note here. Isn't it? We're getting more insight to a, a, an aspect here that relates to the laying on of hands. And in this instance, it's not so much a transfer of a blessing, but rather uh, it is a setting aside and a commissioning for a specific purpose. Because we know that Joshua has been chosen to take over from Moses and to lead uh, in, uh, amongst the children of Israel. But I want you to understand, there are a few factors to note here, and that is, one is the laying on of hands, obviously, but two, it's through, before Eleazar the priest, three, it's before the congregation, because this is something that, uh, uh, they, that they all must witness, this is something that they all must understand, because Joshua is being inaugurated, and so therefore, the scripture says that the congregation may be obedient to him. There's principle here in relation to leadership, isn't there? And so, uh, so that going forward, 
they will understand that the authority that Moses uh, has, uh, and there's a, a degree of it, has been transferred now to uh, Joshua, and ultimately he will take on all that authority and he will go forward in the plan and purposes of God. But this is all in the backdrop of the laying on of hands. They laid hands on Moses laid hands as the Lord commanded him. God wanted this to happen in, 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 this, in this manner. So you have those aspects. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, verse 9, it relates back to this. And it says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. For Moses had laid his hands on him, so the children of Israel heeded him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. For Moses had laid his hand on him. There was also a blessing that was passed as well in relation to this. And these things must be noted and understood because this is a principle that we find and it's an elementary principle that relates not just to the Old Testament, but it's an elementary principle of Christ. And that relates uh, to the church and the plan and purposes of God that is associated with it. So we see laying on of hands had great significance. It, uh, it passed on a blessing. You know, what, what, another thing to also note here is, uh, is, is interesting. You don't have to turn there, but in Numbers chapter 8, verse 10... Uh, the Bible talks about the laying on the, how the children of Israel laid hands upon the Levites who were set aside for a specific purpose of God in terms of the, the priesthood and all that is associated with it. And, in, and again, part of the inaugurating aspect related to the laying on of hands. And in this instance, it's the children of Israel laying hands upon the Levites. because they are being separated and ordained to a specific ministry in the plan and purpose of God. And that is also another point to make note of that we see in relation to the New Testament, which we'll, we'll look at a little bit later. But I want to focus now and shift with you as we track through this, laying on of hands and begin to see it as we identified in the New Testament. So who's the first person you think of in relation to the laying on of hands in the New Testament. It is Jesus. Jesus himself. On many occasions you read, and sometimes we just read it without paying too much attention, but you'll find that on many occasions, not on every occasion, and it's not you know, the one method that God, that God uses, so it's important for us to understand that. But nevertheless, there is a principle here and it is practiced and Jesus himself did. In Matthew chapter 19, we have them, uh, the, the little children coming to Jesus and the scripture says that he laid his hands on each of them and he blessed them. So again, we just read that and he's thinking, oh, he's just being affectionate, touching them. No, there was something more there than that. It was, uh, he, he was actually laying hands on them and he was blessing the children that were being brought to him. And so we see that, that this is uh, related to, in a sense, the laying on of hands. But we also identified in the scripture in Jesus and he, when he heals the sick. 
Again, you don't have to turn to these scriptures. I'm just going to make mention of them. But you have one instance in Mark chapter 5 where you have uh, Jairus' daughter and uh, as he comes to Jesus and uh, he's, he's wanting to receive healing for his daughter, he says, come and lay your hands on her and she will be made well. You see, it was an understanding amongst... Uh, 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 not just the Hebrews in this instance, but even Jairus himself understood the principle that it was related to laying on of hands. And so, uh, Jesus, come and lay your hands on my daughter and she'll be made well. So notice the faith that is associated with that statement. There is faith again that is still encompassing that very fact because of the laying on of hands, because there's something authoritative. There's something that's, a, that's a, there's a reality, there's a spiritual dimension to this. And in doing so, he receives a miracle. There's in Mark chapter 1, we have the, uh, the leper himself, and he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me well. Jesus put forth his hand, the Bible says, and touched him and said, be well, be made whole, and healed him. But again, in this instance, we have the laying on of a hand. In Luke chapter 13, we have another example where the woman with a spirit of infirmity, whom for 18 years, whom Satan has bound, 18 years, and she comes to Jesus, and the Bible says that he laid his hands on her and she was healed. So you see, again, uh, uh, at this point of time, we're tracking through the Bible this principle, this doctrine of the laying on of hands, and we're seeing it in operation. Now again, does that mean that every time Jesus healed, that he laid hands on them? No. Doesn't, if you read that, it doesn't say that. But I'm saying that there are principles here and there are aspects that we must understand because they have relevance. We can go, and then you know where I'm going next because the next one is the Great Commission. And in Mark chapter 16, you have Jesus as he commissions his disciples and uh, the, the apostles to go forth and to preach the kingdom of God and in Mark chapter 16, let me turn to it myself and we'll read from verse 17 to 18. He says, uh, he talks about in verse 15, 16, going out into all the world and who believes and is baptized will be saved. There's another elementary principle. These signs will follow, uh, these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now notice, and these signs will follow those who believe. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There is the principle of faith again. And so you can see the reoccurring truth that underpins the laying on of hands. It's a spiritual reality and dimension that relates to God and there's a human dimension that relates to faith. And that's why we practice it because we're instructed to and we're doing it by faith. That's what, the whole reason behind it. It's an obedient act. 
that's based on the fact that God said it, so I'm doing it because I believe it. But again, note that it's an inaugural aspect and here that relates to the commissioning of the laying on of hands. Now, in Scripture you find, and you can read, and as you read the birthing of the New Testament church and you read the book of Acts, you, are, you see the power of God being manifested time and time again. You see miracles. You see God at work in supernatural ways. But yet, uh, and again, uh, it's not in every instance, but there are, many, there are a number of examples in which the laying on of hands is associated. In Acts chapter 28, verse, uh, I think it's 8 or 7 and 8, I'll read it here. It says, And it happened that the father of Publius lay sick. This is when uh, Paul was on, I think, the island of it was Malta, was it? And uh, lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went to him and prayed, and he laid his hands on him, and he healed him. You see, the laying on of hands, let me say this, in one sense, it's not just, amen, for the Pentecostals. This is, this is the word of God we are reading. This is something that is to be practiced by the believer and by the church as we proceed in the church age. This is a principle. And so Paul goes and lay hands on, on, uh, uh, on this individual who's an unbeliever and he is healed. That's why as Joel was up here and he was just testifying and they had this guy come, what did they do? They laid hands on him to pray for him. So these things are significant. And we have uh, also that relates... Uh, you know, again, you don't have to go there, but James 5, it talks about, uh, is anyone among you sick? Then call for the elders of the church and let them anoint, anoint him with oil. And in doing so, we find that in that process of anointing with oil and uh, praying over him, we have, uh, well, at least I believe there's the inference of the laying on of hands. So, we've made that point. Lay hands on the sick. Let's move to the next one. And this relates to what uh, we looked at some aspects last week when we considered the baptisms and we looked at the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But again, there is reference to the scripture of uh, laying on of hands in relation to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now remember, baptism is in the inaugural sense, okay? Remember we looked at that last week. Now, on the five occasions in the book of Acts where you find people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, on three occasions it was, uh, uh, there was a through and was associated with the laying on of hands. Now, that does, again, I say that to make the point. It's not that God, every, every instance this is to occur. God works in many diverse ways. He doesn't, you know, in the same way that, you know, uh, you know God worked through Paul as he was a Peter, his shadow was just, you know, and people were getting in line with his shadow and as he walked past, people were being miraculously healed. No hands, no hands laid there. And in the same way, um, there are instances in, in, in relation to the day of Pentecost and in Acts uh, 10 that relate to Cornelius, no laying hands there, Spirit of God comes and bang, they're baptised in the Holy Spirit. But there are other instances where specifically the Bible says that the laying on of hands occurred. 
And so we have to note this. We have to look at it and take note of the, this reality. In Acts chapter 8, verse 17, it talks about the Samaritans. And again, you don't have to bring that up on the screen. But it talks about the Samaritans and it says they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. That's why it was Simon the sorcerer who observed that and in his envy uh, and desire for preeminence and power, he said, whoa, I've got some money here, let me have a bit of that. So whoever I lay my hand on, they can have it too. And you know Peter's response. And so like anything that relates to these things, there's always uh, the enemy who wants to bring the corruption of it. But nevertheless, there was a laying on of hands. Uh, and again, now, in saying this, this doesn't mean that they were transferring an anointing, okay? We'll get to that in a minute. This is an inaugural aspect. And as they laid hands, the Spirit of God came, amen? God was the baptizer in the Holy Ghost, not some men. Okay, you must know, it's very important to note. In Acts chapter 9, you have the conversion of Saul to Paul, and uh, again, Ananias is sent by God and Paul having been struck with blindness as a result of that encounter and so when Ananias comes, the Bible says that he laid his hands on him and he, healed, and he was healed and filled with the Spirit. Again, laying on of hands. Acts 19, the, ch- the, the church, uh, Paul's at Ephesus. And again, we referred to it in relation to baptism last week, but also now in this instance, we find that the Holy Spirit, they were baptised in the Holy Spirit, and the Bible says in verse 6 of Acts 19 that they laid hands on them. Okay, so we can't deny that fact. We can't just discount that reality. You have to see that and you have to understand it. What's important is that we grasp these truths and we make a correct and biblical application of these things because in the modern church era, these things have been corrupted. There have been so many extremes and errors that have been associated with the charismatic and Pentecostal movement. And I, had, I come from a Pentecostal background, so I had to navigate and learn, uh, probably like so many others, through these things because I was born into it. Uh, we were doing our Bible study the other day and we were talking about a few things. Because, and, um, and, you know, we all have different backgrounds and we, we, so therefore we, we, we have different experiences and thoughts on things and so forth. And isn't it interesting, you know, we were looking at the church of Corinth and could you imagine back in those days and we had a, you know, they had a conference and they said, oh, I was saved at Corinth. Everyone looked at him and went, oh, no, not one of those. (laughs) But it's, you know, because of the various backgrounds and experiences that are associated with us. But you see, there is a truth here. There is a reality here that must be identified and that's why Paul writes to the Corinthians and he sets in order those things so that they understand. But we have, you know, over the years we've seen those that have come and, you know, you, you know, catch the fire, you know, all the stories and all that was associated and, and so people were running from one place to the other because they wanted this preacher because he had an anointing. And somehow, if he laid hands on me, it was, I was going to have some miraculous experience in the Holy Spirit. 
That is a deception and it's a lie and it's a corruption of the laying on of hands because he can't transfer nothing. In actual fact, that's why I make the point that the baptism is an inaugural event. It's an inaugural thing. You, don't, you, don't, you aren't continually baptised. Then people say, well, what about I, uh, the, the filling? You can be continuously and multiple, filled multiple times. Yeah, you can. But you don't have to have hands laid on you to accomplish that. That's what I learned. That's what the Lord showed me, even from my background, where I came from. I remember someone getting up on the stage in a conference and they preached and they said, uh, God told me to lay hands on all the preachers that they would have an anointing. And I tell you now, they all, I, I didn't see another pastor not go up. They all went up. And I, the Lord would not let me. And I stayed back and I just said, no, I'm not going because I already have an anointing. I have already been baptised. I have, and I just have to ask God to fill me. I don't need anything from you and I'm not going to have you lay hands on me because you can't transfer nothing to me. Because this issue of an impartation is unbiblical. It's a corruption of the laying on of hands. And this is where you've got to be careful about who uh, you're allowed to lay hands on you in that sense. Because I tell you what, I don't, know, I don't want what you got. So don't touch me. Keep your hands to yourself. <laughs> and so, but nevertheless, that's, that's the, the truth. So people have been deceived by this. So having said that, there is the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Scripture, the laying on of hands. And so we can't discount that and cast it aside because of the extreme practices and errors that are found within charismatic and Pentecostal circles. You must identify the truth and that's what we strive towards and that's what we contend for. So let's look at another aspect that relates to the laying on of hands and uh, it, re it relates to the ordaining New Testament. It relates to your ordaining of elders and deacons, and so forth within the church. Turn again to Acts chapter 6. Now it's interesting because we find in the first instance here that there is a need that is being presented. And it's not that they need more people to preach the gospel and lay hands on the sick. Okay? In actual fact, they need some people to serve tables because there are some people complaining and they're being left out in the distribution and they want justice. And so the church comes together and it says, you know, we need to appoint some people for this to minister, to serve and to meet these particular needs. And so they choose seven, the Bible says. Now let's look at verse one. I actually, um, actually just read verse three we know what the, what's happening here. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit. Now that must be noted, full of the Holy Spirit. There must be that evidence and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying please the whole multitude. And... Um, 
they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. This is an inaugural event. Again, take note of this. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and so forth. See, so here it is, uh, seven men to distribute bread and to serve tables. And the word here for serve, to, to serve is the word where we get the, the word deacon in, in, the, in the Bible. A servant to serve. And here they are fulfilling these menial tasks, so to speak. But yet, there is a qualification that is associated with this ministry and with this service. And they are to have good reputation, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. And in doing so, they are inaugurated and they are commissioned to this purpose and to this ministry and they have have hands laid upon them. And so we see that. In Acts chapter 13, you can go there. There's another aspect that relates to this. This deals with the appointment to apostolic work, to go out and to preach the gospel and to uh, evangelize and to plant churches as uh, Paul and Barnabas are about to do. But in verse 1, it says, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, and Barnabas, uh, uh, Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Manane, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Again, this is an inaugural event. This is a commissioning for a specific purpose. Now, this is the same principles that we were drawing back in, in, uh, 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 in the Old Testament. And we're seeing them here in the doctrine of laying on of hands being appropriated and practiced in the book of Acts here amongst the church. In Acts chapter 14, can I get, just uh, fl- flip there, and in verse 23, there's an interesting scripture here. It says, so when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That word appointed in verse 23 um, comes from a Greek word which means to stretch forth the hand. Okay, so once they were appointed, so you get the understanding that as part of the appointment to stretch forth the hand, they laid hands on them appointing them as they prayed and commissioned them. Uh, I was reading some stuff on this and they, uh, some had interpreted that the stretching forth of the hand was related to a voting system. <laughs> uh, nice try. You don't vote for elders, okay? You appoint elders. Isn't that right, Pastor Werner? Uh? If we started voting in elders, I don't think we would be too healthy church. Amen? <laughs> but stretching forth the hand is not a process of voting. 
as such, but rather in relation to the appointing of elders, it relates to those being ordained, ordained, appointed. So let's move on. Uh, there's another truth here I want to highlight that relates to the laying on of hands. And this is an interesting one, but again, it's there and we have to look at it. But it relates to the imparting of spiritual gifts. Now, <clears throat> I say that because in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul again writing to Timothy, he says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Now, that gift doesn't necessarily, you're not talking about, you know, you know um, that gift can be a gift of, um, of teaching, it can be a gift of, uh, of leadership. There's, uh, there's various gifts uh, that we find within the, the, the context of Scripture. But nevertheless, it was something that uh, obviously uh, the, uh, that was already uh, at work. In the same way when Moses uh, was ordaining uh, Joshua, the spirit was already in him, okay? But uh, at the same time, there was, a, there was a blessing and that there was a commissioning that related to the laying on of hands in that, end, in that sense. It, it sets it up more formally or, uh, uh, you know, in terms of, um, them proceeding in the purpose and plan of God. And so here you have uh, uh, Paul writing to Timothy, telling him not to neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy. Prophecy. There's another one. But it was there. Prophecy and with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Now, again, I want to say this was not based on impartation. Okay, so let's just cut this out. What we're talking about is it was not something that it was imparted to them by the elders. It was something that was given by and through the eldership by the Holy Spirit, by God himself, but operating through this principle. That's why in God speaks to Moses and he says, here's uh, Joshua and so lay hands on him. So it's not, Moses is not transferring something in, of himself he is in, in obedience to God in, in, in light of the spiritual reality and truth that's associated. God is giving something to Joshua and it's going to happen in this same process. And this is exactly what, the same principle that we see it relates to Paul when he says to Timothy that you, was, you were given a gift through the laying on of hands of the eldership and by prophecy, through prophecy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul, referring back to this again as he encourages Timothy, he says, Therefore, Timothy, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. You see, there's something significant that took place. There's something inaugural that was manifested and that's why Paul is referring back to this moment in time. And that's what makes it so important, the laying on of hands and the inaugural aspect in which is associated with it because it was something that he had already received. It's not something that Paul had to go and lay hands on him. He said, listen, get here as fast as you can so I can lay hands on you so you can have it again. No, he says you received it, you have the gift, and stir up the gift of God that is in you. 
Because in the process of time and the experience of life and through the rigours of ministry and the Christian life and whatever it is, we can become slothful, we become weary, we become complacent or whatever the case may be. And so therefore, stir up the gift of God that is in you. Hmm. That's an interesting thought, but it's there. Must be culti- any gift that we have from God must be cultivated and it must be rekindled and it must be stirred up, amen, as we, in response and obedience to God, uh, uh, set ourselves to do His will. Okay, there's one last aspect that I want to consider with you, if you can stick with me. One last aspect, and it's found in second, oh, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 22. This is an interesting one because in a sense it's a warning that relates to the principle and practice of laying on of hands. And in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, Paul instructs Timothy and says, Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Now, <clears throat> The, again, this has to do with an, uh, the issue of ordination, of setting people aside, of, of commissioning them for a specific purpose. And so he's saying that uh, Timothy, as a church elder, as a church leader, he says you have to be very careful uh, on whom you ordain to various functions of leadership, who you ordain to various functions and ministries and responsibilities within the church assembly, Because, he says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. Don't be quick to ordain uh, such various individuals. Because, especially in relation uh, to their manner of life and the, the way in which they live, especially as it relates to other people's sins, he says... And so what, what's Paul have in mind? He's, he's saying you've got to be very careful, you've got to take care because uh, in, in practicing the laying on of hands, don't be hasty about it. You really have to have the mind of God and you have to know and be convinced of the will of God. Don't, this is not something that you just do haphazardly. This is not something that you do at whim. Or it really, it has to be treat, approached and treated seriously uh, uh, for as it is. Because if you act hastily in this manner, then you run a danger. And he says uh, uh, that you can, because if, you, if you are ordaining people that are not fit nor qualified, he says uh, then you are putting yourself at risk because he uses the words in sharing in other people's sins. And so if someone's, you know, uh, 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 practicing a known sin in their lives and, and we're going to, you know, ordain them to some ministry in the church? No. We can't, we can't do that because then we are sharing in their sin. And that's why these, these things are, are, are of importance and must be understood. And this is what Paul is referring to. You see, churches can fall into the trap of ordaining people to various ministries and responsibilities in order to try and keep them in the church. But Paul says, no, they have to be proven. They have to be tested. There has to be an example and a way of life that is observable and then in ordaining them, uh, 
there is, uh, it maintains, if you want to call it, um, the, the spiritual health and of the assembly. That's what Paul is ref- referencing to, in a sense, when he says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. And so, we have to give due diligence to, to those that are being ordained, in a sense, to various ministries and responsibilities and functions within the assembly because we have to know their character. We have to know their way of life. We have to observe their example. This is imperative, especially as it comes to a, in a local church and something that we need to take heed of and be very mindful about as we approach these things and especially in the context of the laying on of hands because at the end of the day, you know who comes back to bite? <laughs> the leadership, doesn't it? You ordained them. What can you say? There's no defence. Because we have to bear that responsibility. Because yes, we ordained. We commissioned. And so we have to be careful in these things. Keep yourself pure. And that's the, the, the aim of the individual, the church, and the people of God. So, in saying all of that, I think I'll leave it there. But remember Paul's, right, uh, in Hebrews, it's, it's just making a reference, by bypassing the doctrine of the laying on of hands. And as we've gone through some of these things this morning, we've identified, and I pray that your eyes have seen, the various principles and truths. And so just in a summary, let me just say, as it relates to the things that we've looked at, we've looked at the fact that it relates to a passing of uh, blessing and authority. It relates to a separating and setting aside for a specific purpose, the laying on of hands. It relates to the ordination of leadership within the assembly. It uh, It involves imparting a ministry gift, as we saw in relation to Timothy. It relates to the healing of the sick, as we've seen, and also in its proper context in relation to the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And that's the way I see it as you trace through the Word of God this morning. And so I pray that you are edified and uh, maybe it's clarified some things for you, but let us proceed because at the end of the day, what we're talking about, amen, is a doctrine and a practice that is biblical, and is a great blessing when it is practiced according to the instruction and truth of the Word of God. Can you say Amen? Amen. Let's pray.